But today we're going we're gonna to close out the service, I mean close out the, the series, Me, Myself, and I, on generosity and thanksgiving and, um, <clears throat> and, and see what the Lord has for us. All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Um, many of you might know this story. It's the woman who comes and anoints Jesus' feet when he's at dinner with a, a Pharisee named Simon. So I'm going to read it to you because I, I think there's some details in here that are very critical to us. Um, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 reads, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, all the details in that one sentence is, is so much. It gives so much information about her. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Again, more details to, to this lady's life. Jesus answered him. <clears throat> it's almost like they're having this Jedi mind talk, right? Because Luke says, he said to himself. It's like he's talking to himself in his mind. How many of us do that, right? Like, oh man, if they only knew. And then Jesus answered him. He answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And uh, he says, tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain uh, money lender. One owed 500 and another owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back. So he forgave the debt of both. Can you imagine? You're thinking one thing and Jesus now interrupts your thought and gives you this story. <laughs> now, which of them will love, will, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Another way to, to, to translate that is at verse 42, it says, you know, who would be more grateful? Who would be more thankful for the forgiven debt? And Simon, his reply is, I guess the one with the bigger debt would be forgiven. He says, you judge correctly. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. <clears throat> you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet before. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. That's very important. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. In other words, she was displaying her gratefulness, her thankfulness. And then he says, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I, 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 it reminds me of what <clears throat> we preached a couple of weeks ago. I said, I said to you, I said, imagine if our, if our faith was connected to the level of thanksgiving that we had. 
If we had little thanks, we would have little faith. If we had big thanks, big gratitude towards God, we would have big faith. That's kind of what Jesus said. It's, he, he's like, those who have been forgiven little will love little. They'll have little love. Oh, I can already feel the room. <laughs> smile, smile at your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to tell them, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. We're going to get through this. You ready to pray? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you the glory and the honor. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your blessing upon our lives and the lives of our children and their children. God, we thank you that we can gather here today and give thanksgiving to you, bring a heart of gratitude. We can do what, what Paul encourages the church of Ephesus to do, is to sing with gratefulness in our heart. God, and, and now as we shift to the, to the teaching of the word, as we, as we make a transition to, to learning something that's, that's going to challenge our, our, our thought process, it's going to challenge who we are, the character of our life. God, I pray that we don't shut that out. We do what Jesus says. He that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord says. That we'd be open to your spirit, we'd be open to your teaching, be open to your, your, your transformation in our life, God. That we would not allow pride to settle in. We would not point our fingers and say, oh, I'm not like that. I don't need that. That's for someone else. But God, we would let your spirit, we would let your spirit bring conviction into our lives. <coughs> Give us the courage. Give us the courage to repent if we need to repent. Give us the courage to, to make changes that we need to make. Lord, we love you. We give you the glory and the honor. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I, I truly believe as, when we started this sermon series, me, myself, and I, I was, I was a little skeptical going, okay, where are we going with this? Where am I going with this? What does the Lord have for us? And, and, and the more I dove into the topic of us being selfless, right? Because me, myself, and I is, has the connotation of everything's about me. And when we started this series, I, I, I challenged us saying, look, at the beginning of the year, COVID begins to come into our life and all of us shut ourselves in and we get into this survival mode. We get into this, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of just my immediate family. I'm like, that's not what the Bible has ever taught us, ever. Even, even through crisis, when you read the Bible, when the people of God are in crisis, God's challenging the people to, to go beyond themselves. He's challenging the people to, to help the foreigner, to embrace the foreigner. He's challenging people to, to be generous, right? And so I'm challenging us for us to move out of this idea that we're going to get in survival mode. And I, I know you're hearing the buzzwords again, right, all over America, like, oh, the, 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 the COVID, it's spiking and the fear talk is coming back. And, you know, our city put out an article this morning about, about how things are shutting down. I'm just going, oh, my Lord, God, please, please, I'm praying for our people that, that they're, they're, there's not this fear that comes into our life because of what they're hearing, because of what people are saying about, about COVID and, and, and et cetera. So I, I'm, I'm challenging us. I'm going, okay, here it is. And I, I believe this is the challenge. It's the blueprint 
for revival. And, and the blueprint for revival is a heart of thanksgiving. It's, it's kind of what I reduced it to. It's kind of what, what my, my deduction of, of, this, of the study of, of me, myself, and I going, look, if, if we want a revival, if we want God to do some miraculous things in our midst, we want God's favor on our life, then it's going to start with people that are grateful to God for what he has given them. It really is. It's going to start with people that have a heart of gratitude towards the gift of God, right? Jesus Christ forgiving our sins, dying on a cross, remembering the price, the heavy price that was paid for our salvation, a heart of gratitude towards what God has for us. And I, I believe that's the blueprint for revival. Uh, it's like, it's like the, the, the foundation of it, God, we're grateful. We're gonna be grateful for everything that you've given us. We're gonna be grateful for even the little things, God. I'm gonna be grateful for my flip-flops when I get out of bed and I don't have to have my feet touch the cold ground. I'm gonna be grateful grateful for the toothpaste that I use to brush my teeth. I'm going to be grateful for the, the, the comb that I have to comb my hair or some of us, you know, the shaving cream to, to freshen up the baldness, you know, I, I don't know, whatever it is, you're just going to be grateful for it. I mean, even the little things in life, and we're going to have a heart that's big towards gratitude. We're going to be a church. We're going to be a people that, that actually gravitate towards generosity because it's contagious. When you think about how generosity flows in the, in the church, you have to. You, you, I'm telling you, you have to start at the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit is released on the people, my goodness, you start seeing a level of generosity that we had not seen before people selling their possessions, people, people giving on levels that, that you hadn't seen in Scripture before. Why? Why? Why do we see that? Well, there's a genuine move of the Spirit. There's a genuine insurgent of, of God's transforming power in the lives of the Jews. They were all there for, for Pentecost. They were all there for the feast and all of us from all over the world. Different backgrounds, different philosophies, different upbringings, and they come together. They have different languages that they even spoke, and they come together. And when the Holy Spirit falls, what happens? They become unified. And there's a spirit of generosity that flows out of them. Where do you think that spirit comes from? It's not a different spirit. It's the same spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says, quickens our mortal body. That same spirit... That, that puts a seal on our forehead when we give our hearts to Jesus and say, I, I give my life to you and, 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 and he now belongs to us and we to him, right? It's that same spirit. So our, our level of generosity, here it comes. Our level of generosity flows out of heaven. If the spirit comes from heaven <laughs> and the spirit lives in you, then your level of generosity flows from heaven. I, I think that raises a lot of questions for those of us that are not generous. It raises a lot of questions for those of us that have a heart of greed. It raises a lot of questions for those of us that are very selfish 
The old missionary Steve Hill would say, I, I, he had this favorite phrase that he would always say. He's like, I'll question your salvation, my friend. Think about that. If we, as the people of God, right, I do it in quotes because some people that say they're the people are not the people. We, as the people of God, do not know how to be generous, then there, there, there might be a salvation issue. Let me, let me tell the people on camera because the people who are alive, they're not, they're not jiving with me. If we, as the people of God, have an issue of generosity, then there might be an issue of salvation. Because when you study the New Testament, you see Paul tell the church of Ephesus in the fifth chapter, he says, listen, as dearly loved children, as dearly loved children, imitate your father. Imitate your father. And if I'm going to imitate God, I'm not just going to imitate him on the things that I like things that I feel I can accommodate, but I'm gonna imitate him on every area of my life. Are you with me? You see, so it's a big deal when you, when you have a church, and, I, and I, I mean a church, a local church, when you have a local church where the people in that church aren't generous unto the Lord, aren't generous unto one another, or not generous to the community, then there's, there's a question of, is the spirit in that, in that church? Because when you go back to the book of Acts, you see, you see the work of the spirit immediately, and the immediate response of the spirit is, is generous. Generous. You see it here. Here's the story of Luke. Luke, Luke, he, he, there's a lot of wrestling with, with this story because, because theologians are trying to answer the question, like, who's this woman? Right? He doesn't give the name. It would have been very easy if he would have said, this is Mary Magdalene. It would have been very easy if he, if he would have said, hey, this is the lady that was about to be stoned for being caught in adultery. It would have been, and then you're like, oh, it all makes sense. Right? But, but he doesn't give that. And theologians are, are trying to connect to, to, to this lady's story. But, but there's some detail in here that gives us enough about this lady. And the detail is, one, she had a lot of perfume. Why, why, would, why would one lady have a lot of perfume? I'll let you ponder about that. And because most of you are thinking like, oh, it's just, you know, because ladies like perfume. Okay. But Luke does say this woman lived a life of sin. She, she was a woman that lived a life of sin. And he says it twice. And then, and then he begins to describe how she treated Jesus. And, and so you have, to, you have to understand, in order to, to, to have this story completely have, have the, the, the power of application in your life, I think... I think there, there needs to be a connection of who this lady is. Now, like the theologians, these are just my assumptions, but her actions are very factual. 
My assumption is that this is the lady that was going to be stoned for, for being caught in adultery. This is the lady that has been brought to Jesus and, and, and she's about to be stoned because they want to prove Jesus wrong on who he is. And, and so Jesus, you know the story. He kneels down in the sand and he begins to write in the sand and, and then everyone drops their rocks and they go their separate places and, and, and he looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? And she's like, there's none here. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go no more. Go and sin no more. Right? Well, she hears. She, she has that moment with Jesus, this, this moment of, of complete forgiveness, this moment of complete, just, just absolutely deliverance from 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 society and the, and the brutalness of what they were about to do to her. And she hears that Jesus is back in town. It's almost as if she didn't have the opportunity to thank him for what, she had, for what he had done. And so he's there reclining in, at, the, at the house of the Pharisees and she barges in. She commits the biggest social faux pas that you could possibly commit. It's like, here's the, here's the situation. I hear that you're going to have a dinner and you're having it and you're inviting the mayor over for dinner. And I'm like, dude, I got to thank the mayor for what he has done in my life or what he has done for me or whatever. And I just barge into your, I just go to your house. I open the front door. I walk in and I, I join the dinner party and you're just there looking at me going, what is he doing? I, ne I never mind you, but <laughs> I put all my focus on him. That's what happened. That's what she did. She walked in uninvited. She, she took a position that she had no position to take because she was so grateful for what the Lord had done for her. And, and, and so when she walks in, Luke tells us that she is overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed. He doesn't use the word, well, this woman's overwhelmed. No, we see that she's overwhelmed. Why? Because she's crying and her tears are just falling on his feet and she wipes her, his feet with her hair and then she anoints him with her perfume. And, and so there's this overwhelming response of generosity from her life because she was forgiven. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is where I forgave her. No, he doesn't say that. He says, because of your great love that has been shown, your sins have been forgiven. Which connects us to this, this 21st century Christianity. It's like, have, have we forgotten what it's like to receive the forgiveness of God in our life? Because we, we, we've been told a thousand times, listen, live any way you want. Just come and repent. Just come tell God you're sorry for doing whatever you, you've done. And then he'll keep taking you back and keep taking you back and keep taking you back. That's the Christianity that we've created in this world. And so we no longer understand the power of forgiveness when God truly forgives us. Paul says it this way. He says, do I keep on sinning that sin may abound? Our grace may abound? Do I keep doing that so that I can keep having the grace and the favor of God in my life? He says, absolutely not. This lady, she wasn't raised in a Christianity like ours. She wasn't raised in this idea that if you, if you commit a sin, then you can just run to God and he'll forgive you right away. And if you commit that same sin over again, you can run to God and he'll forgive you right away. And you know, all the, it's like, no, she wasn't raised that way. 
It was the moment that she had received true forgiveness from God. And there's this, there's this immediate gratitude out of her life. So there are some things that I think, I think we can point out here. The first thing that we can point out is that, is that the other side of the table, the Pharisee, there, there, was, this, there was this entitlement uh, heart that, that it was showing, it was displaying. And so when you have an entitlement heart, it, it cannot express gratitude. It cannot express thankfulness. It, it does not express what, what it appreciates. It doesn't. And so the Pharisee, what does he do? He complains about the gift. He complains about what this, what this lady is doing. She, he's like, oh, if Jesus only knew. Right? He's one of those girls. Oh, she only knew. Right? She only knew. Oh, don't act like you know what I'm, not, what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. All of us get in our little, our little groups and, and we start gossiping about other people. We start saying, oh, if they only knew. If they only knew. Right? That's what he said. Like if Jesus only knew who was touching him. Which leads us, I guess, I, for me, those are, those are context clues to, to, to the fact that she is a prostitute. She was a prostitute, you know, and, she, and she's there and being touched or being touched by the grace of God, receiving the grace of God in her life. And, and so we have this entitlement attitude from the Pharisees. And, and, and the Pharisees, is, it's, 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 really, it's really an issue of pride. I think, I think that we can serve God so, so long that pride can slip in and we don't even realize that we're prideful. Because if, when you think about the Pharisees and their, and their, and their whole, whole position in history, like these are people that were connected to, they were Jews, first of all, and, and they understood the, the line of Abraham. They understood uh, that the Messiah was coming. They were looking for a Messiah. And, and I think their position, their position being children of Abraham, right? We heard them say that in the Gospels when they're arguing with Jesus. It's like, we are the children of Abraham. And that's when Jesus gets mad when he says, listen, before Abraham was, I am, right? That whole dialogue with, with, with uh, Jesus in the book of John. He's like, we are the children of Abraham. I think because they had position with God, they, they, they allowed it to turn into pride rather than, stay, rather than staying humble. And you can see it here. One of the pitfalls for, for us as, as Christians is to stay humble, is, is, is to not let pride rule our hearts. It's to not let pride, you know, dictate our lives. And, and that's what happened here. They, they have this badge of honor. They're like, we are the children of Abraham. And, and, and we don't allow people like her into our house. And we don't allow, you know, that type of sinner into, into our lives. In fact, we don't even associate with those people. You know the story of the prodigal son. You know, before they get to the story of the prodigal son, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were so angry with Jesus because he eats and he drinks with sinners. The pride of their life, their pride of their life was like, I'm too holy, I'm too righteous, I can't be seen with people that don't have the same values of me as I have. Or I can't be in the same 
you know, dinner table when someone has a drink of alcohol. Like, I don't want the other Christians to see me sitting here because then they're going to judge me and they're going to look at me and they're going to say, oh, I wonder if that person's drinking too. And I wonder if they're sinning too. You know, that's the attitude that they have. Jesus didn't care. He went and ate and drank with the sinners. They called him a wine bibber. They, 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 he, like, like Jesus, they had these names for Jesus. And you know who created all this, all this um, rioting around Jesus' life? It was the religious people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because they allowed pride to, to, to settle in and they, they, allowed, they allowed pride to, 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 cover, to cover what the prophets of old had said about the Messiah, about the purpose of Jesus coming, about the forgiveness of sin. I, I think, church, I think if we, if we lose the heart of gratitude, we can become those people easily. We, we can become those people that judge other people that, 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 that might, I don't know, have a drink of wine with their dinner or that might watch a movie that you might not watch. Or, and and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying like, like there's this freedom to live a, a, sin, a, a sinful life. Not at all. What I am saying is that if we are the older brother, if we're in the house with the father, then we should not condemn those who do not know is what I'm saying. There should be no condemnation that comes from us towards the brother or the sister that has not completely understood what it means to follow Christ. We can become those people really quick. Listen, if Paul says there is therefore no condemnation in, in Christ, for those that are in Christ Jesus, then we have no right to condemn anybody. Jesus says, listen, before you judge someone, you need to decide what measurement you want to judge because whatever measurement you judge, that, that measurement will be used against you. Gratitude and thanksgiving doesn't judge people. Let me, let me, let me say it the way Jesus says it. He says, but whoever has been forgiven little, <laughs> loves little. That's what that means. When you look at your life and you trace the road that you have traveled and you trace all the hiccups in your life and you trace all the things that, that you, the decisions that you have done to rebel against God and you realize that God has forgiven you for what you have done, my goodness, your heart blossoms towards mercy when people make mistakes. Your heart opens up with this, with this level of forgiveness because you, you, you're imitating the heart of the Father. But when you've been forgiven little because you allow pride to say that I'm, I'm this spiritual elitist, I, I'm, I'm, this, I'm this religious guru, you know, I'm the one who holds the law, you love little. You have very little grace for people that stumble. You have very little grace for people that make mistakes. You have very little grace for people that, that, that aren't as quite as spiritual as you. He who has been forgiven little loves little. But he who has been forgiven much loves much. And that comes from a heart of gratitude. Let's not get in a position where, where we feel like 
like we are entitled. We're entitled because we are born again. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, because we are born again, there should be grace and mercy that flows out of our life. If you're going to err, err with grace and mercy, not with judgment. Are you with me? Because we could do it. We could do it. The church has been beat up. We've been beat up, guys. But through through the through the, the decades, we've been beat up that, that we just, you know, we, we're just we're just a group of people that have very little tolerance for people that make mistakes. I don't know where that has come from, but that's that's not the church. It's not us. We say fully known, fully loved. You're welcome. We don't, we, we, we as human beings, listen, listen, outside of, of murder and, and, and doing something that's heinous and violent, you know, we, we really don't have an issue with your sin because that's between you and God. God has an issue with your sin. When you repent of that, who am I to say you, you aren't forgiven? Who am I to say that uh, you can't come into the house of God and worship? You can't come into the house of God and, and participate? No, not at all, because I'm a sinner too that has been forgiven by grace. I, I think, I think, I think, let me clarify that, because I think some of you are looking at me like, well, you don't have an issue with sin, no. No, no. I, I don't have an issue with people who, who, who are sinners that come into the place that need forgiveness. We have issue with sin because we believe that, you know, when, when you are born again, becoming like your father, like Christ, we are sinning less. Right? We're sinning less. That's called the maturity of Christ. But I think sometimes as a church, we want, we want baby Christians to get from point A to point Z like in 60 seconds. And we don't allow, it, we don't allow growth to happen. And we kind of forget that Jesus... You know, he walked with his disciples for, for a minimum of three years. Right? It took those jokers three years to kind of get through the process. And even then, there was hiccups along the way. Jesus didn't dump them. But I think sometimes we get into that position, this entitlement position, and we're like, ah, no. Here, here, here's, here's, here's a remedy for that is you, you have to return to your first love. You have to return to your first love. You have to remember what it was like when Christ forgave you. The church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation gets challenged with this. They do so well. They, you know, the, the, the angel says, you are good in these areas. You, you, you're, you're a good church. But he says, there's this one thing I have against you. And, and this is the one thing that I have against you, that you have forsaken your first love. In other words, he's saying, listen, you have no compassion for, 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 for God anymore. You, ha you have no love and affection for God anymore. You've become so, so strict with your, with your religion that it has really pushed aside the emotion of, of love. That's what the Pharisee is doing here. He can't, he can't see. He can't see the fact that this woman is receiving the grace of God. He can't receive, he can't see the fact that God is actually having an, God himself is actually having an interaction with a broken life. He can't see it. All he sees is her sin. 
All he sees is her, 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 her backstory. All he sees is, is everything that she did before she walked into that place. And Jesus, he sees something different. He sees an expression of love. He says, because of your great love, the love you have shown, <laughs> you, your sins, your many sins have been forgiven. Here's the second person that we, that we see in the story. And that's, that's the woman herself. You know, the thankfulness, the thankful heart overflows into generosity. It's, it's, it's understanding that, that when we are forgiven, when we, are, when, we're, when we receive the grace of God in our life, when we know beyond a shadow of a doubt from running to the altar or, or having your, your, your prayer time at home or wherever you are and you feel that grace over your life and you feel like God has cleansed you and washed you. I know it's a metaphoric, but, but it, you, you still have this, this physiological response to it because it's like something happened to me. We, we change. We, we, we're, we're nicer, we're, we're, we're gentler, we, we're, we're kinder, we, we love bigger, right? We're, we're, we're faithful now, we're loyal. Like these are the fruits of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, longest, self, uh, um, self-control, faithfulness. He's like all those attributes begin to come out of our life and we begin to live out of those. Why? Because, because there's a thankfulness in us. It's the same thing that she did. Because of what Jesus had done sooner, because here's the story. He's eating at the Pharisee's house. She heard that Jesus was in town. She shows up. So we know Jesus had impacted her life before he had dinner with Simon. We know that. The clues are there. The context clues are there. And so she comes to give this thanks. Has Jesus impacted your life before you came to church? I mean, think about it. Has God impacted your life this week before you showed up? And if he has impacted your life this week before you showed up, then that ought to really change how we worship God, right? The way she did. She, she wept before the Lord. She had this heart of, 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 of giving towards God. Like, whatever it takes, I'm going to give you this, this perfume. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. My goodness, I mean, there's, there's so many symbolic picture, pictures there. Let me, let me just touch the one on the oil. Now, listen, a woman in her day, for her to have so much oil, I don't know if you've ever heard this or studied culture, but, but for a woman in her day to have so much perfume is because she was a prostitute. It was, it was, it was, it was, perfume was alluring to men because they, they, they you know, we, we know the, what do you call it? Uh, aromatherapy. You ever go get a massage and you have aromatherapy and they have nice smells going on in there. And you're like, man, this really clears you up for her to have so much perfume, a year's worth of wages. There was a profession that, that had that type of, that type of, um, material. But here's the picture of it. Here's the beauty of, of, of the transformed life. What does she do with it? She gives it to Jesus. As this, as this to say, as the, the, the gospel writer is saying, when, when you have a transformed heart, 
when you are truly thankful for what God has done for you, you're willing to give up your past. You're willing to give up the old you. You're willing to lay it down. You're willing to say, here it is, Jesus. There you go. It's yours, right? As, as, as we would say, bring it to the cross. Lay it at the feet of the cross. Nail it to the cross. That's what she literally did. She gave her life. She said, listen, that old way of living, Jesus, I'm not going to do that anymore because I found a new way. I found the grace of God that touched my life that forever will transform me. I don't have to be that person anymore. How many of you have ever been touched by God and you're like, I'm just going to leave the past in the past and I'm going to allow God to create a new creature in me I'm going to allow God to do something new in me. I'm going to allow God to, to, to perform what he wants to see done in my life to perfection, what he wants to see in my life as, as, as I give to the, to, to the kingdom of God. I mean, can you truly say that? Can you truly say, I'm just, I'm just going to lay it at Jesus' feet? Because she did. There's pictures of this type of this type of transformation throughout the Bible, you see it with Elijah and Elisha. The prophet Elijah comes and puts his coat on Elisha. And what's Elisha doing? Well, he's, he's tending to the family business and he's out there doing whatever he needs to do. And so he leaves with Elijah. Then he, he decides, he goes, you know what? I need to go back. And he goes back. And I'm paraphrasing. You can read the story in Kings for yourself. But he goes back and he burns the family business. He burns it. He, he gives a sacrifice to God. He burns it as, 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 a, as a symbolic picture that I'm not going back to this. I'm not going back to this. I'm moving forward with the man of God, with the prophet. That's what she did. She anoints his head in oil. Right? It's, it's the preparation for his burial. She anoints it's this symbolic picture. And, and, it, and it's this idea that she is not going back to her old life. How many of you are willing to say that? So I, I give my heart to Jesus. But not only do I give my heart to Jesus, but I make a decision to not go back to my old life. Not go back to my selfishness. Not go back to my pride and my stinginess. Not go back to, to what used to govern my life. Not go back to the, to, to the gossiping and slandering ways that I have. Not go back to the busybody that I used to be. But I'm going to move forward in Christ Jesus. It's symbolic. She was grateful. She was willing to turn from her, her old ways. This is how Jesus puts it in the New Testament. He says, listen, if you set your hands to the plow and you look back, he says you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now that's a farming term. And many of, you, many of us might not know what a plow is. But a plow is, is, a, is, a, is a mechanism that they would hook up to the ox and, and, and it had like a point on it. And the ox would pull the plow, the machinery, so that it could till the ground so that the farmer can plant his harvest. Think about this imagery. He has the power, like the kingdom of God is, Jesus says is violent, the violent take it by force, right? There's this imagery, there's the ox. And then there's the plow, and then there's the man holding on to the plow, right? And he has his strap over his shoulder. That's tough work. Now, most of us don't know what tough work is anymore because we sit in the office, right? And, we, and I'm including myself, right? And we, we kind of like, 
tough work is I get arthritis in my fingers because I'm typing all day or my eyes are going back because I look at a screen all day, right? No, th this is tough work where it's like manual labor. Some of us, we have those manual labor jobs. You know what I'm talking about. And so Jesus uses this illustration. He says, listen, once you set your hands to the plow and the ox starts moving, you, you can't go back. You can't go back. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And, in, and if you decide to go back, you decide to release your life from the plow, Jesus says, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. That hurts. But it's true. You see, I, 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 again, I'm your pastor. I love you. I love you, but sometimes, sometimes, and I was having this conversation with someone at, at dinner the other day, I said, sometimes the truth hurts. Everyone thinks the truth ought to be nice and packaged very sweetly and given to me so that I can digest it. But no, sometimes the truth hurts because that's why, that's why people really had a hard time with Jesus when he's like, listen, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. That truth hurts. If you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. That truth hurts because there's some things that, that I'm not willing to let go of in my past. There's some things that I want to hold on to. I want to hold on to this one part here, you know. I want to hold on to my temper because it makes me feel good when people make me angry. And I, and I can just turn green and just smash everything and blame it on my temper. I want to hold on to that. But she gives us a picture of a true heart that is repentive and says, I, I'm not going back to that life, Jesus. I don't need this perfume. I don't need it. It's yours. Here's, here's the final thing. Are you ready, worship team? Here's, here's the final thing. And then, and then we'll move forward. We'll pray. Is, you know, generosity flows from thankfulness to God is extravagant. It's extravagant. I, I really need you to, to see this point. It's extravagant. And, and if, you, if you don't know what extravagant is, then... then um, <clears throat> I encourage you to look it up. But extravagant, if you've ever been in love, you know what extravagant is. And we'll, we'll unpack this in a minute. And so here's, here's how Moses describes it in Deuteronomy 16, 17. He says, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So there's, there's a moment with the children of Israel, Moses, he's saying, listen, God has blessed you. And because God has blessed you, you need to demonstrate how much God has blessed you by the gift you bring to him. Now that's pressure. Right? Whoa, don't do that. It's like, right? <laughs> that's pressure. Guys, it's like, it's like the moment you're going to, the moment you're going to ask for her hand in marriage. 
right? I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to take you on a journey. And, and when you ask for her hand in marriage, the type of ring you present that day is going to describe, you know where I'm going now, right? It's going to describe to her, right? Because she's going to be all about the day, right? Like, like in the 21st century, like engagements are, are like crazy, right? People rent helicopter, helicopters, they, they rent out Disney World, they like do all kinds of stuff just so they can, you know, ask for the hand in marriage, right? Back in our day, David, we just, we just kind of got down on one knee and we're like, listen, I'm stupid and I think you'll be pretty foolish if you decide to marry me. But, you know, we say, we say dumb things like that. That's just back in our day, David. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see, the moment the guy got down on his knee, she knew. She knew something was coming. Right? And, uh, and so when, when, when the words that he's speaking are no longer, like, even... They, they make no sense to you, right? Because as a lady, all you're hearing is wah, 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 right? Because you want to know, I want to see the ring. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the moment, right? Whatever signal you gave, whatever, whatever came to your heart to, just, to, to look at her and go, hey, I, I want to spend the rest of my, I, I'm, I'm like talking to my wife, she's looking at her phone or your watch. And so I'm like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, Right? And so for us, it was like in a, it was in a four tempo, two door, four tempo. And, and, and so the way, the way it worked with Katie and I is I had, I always wore her ring from high school. I, I wore it on my pinky, just kind of like as a, as a sign, like, 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 look, I, I know, I know I'm good looking and you want to take me out, but I'm taken, you know, just like, there's the thing. It was more for a security blanket for me, but. But one day when I decided that I wanted to marry Katie and spend the rest of my life with her, I took her ring off and I had put an engagement ring on. And trust me guys, listen to me and listen to me carefully. Women notice everything, everything, every detail, right? You come in looking different, they notice. They know everything. I don't know why this is the way God made them. It's like they recognize everything. Like she knew when that ring was off my finger and there was another ring there. So when you get down to, to, to ask for the, the hand in marriage, again, they hear the first words, but after that, it's all gibberish because the only thing they're thinking about is, what does my ring look like? What does it look like, right? Is it from Tiffany's or is it from the guy down the street who's selling out of his house? Like, you know, all that matters. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of like that moment with God. Because there is no way to convince me I'm 46 years old. I think I've lived long enough to know 
There is no way to convince me that people do not give to the level of their love. We give to the level of our love. Jesus said it right here. He's like, this woman has shown so much love. How? She gave her years of wages through her perfume. She, her tears on his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. Like, like there was an expression of her love. And so when we come to God, and, and if we're not extravagant in our expression of love towards him, and I know many of you are probably thinking, like, you're probably thinking, well, he's, he's really going to hit home right now on the tithe and the offering. No, not at all. If that's where your mind went, then you don't understand extravagant love towards God. Because extravagant love towards God means that you're willing to give all of yourself. Extravagant love towards God means Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, therefore offer your body as a living sacrifice to God because it is your first act of spiritual worship. God wants you. You're the extravagant expression of love towards God because if God has you, everything that you have on this earth follows. Everything about your life follows. But if he doesn't have your heart, if he doesn't have you, if he doesn't have your, 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 your spirit, your soul, he has nothing of you. Because anyone can just give in the offering. Anyone can, can volunteer their time. Anyone can, can do those little things that, 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 you know, have this pseudo idea of, of what it means to love God. But when you truly love God, you're offering your body as a living sacrifice on a daily basis. And you're waking up in the morning, you're going, okay, God, it's you and me. What we're going to do today, where do you have me go? Who do you have me talk to? Who do you have me love? Who do you have me minister to? Who do you have me serving, God? Where do you want me, God? That's extravagant love towards God. That's you saying, God, my whole life belongs to you. I give everything to you. You want my house? Have my house. You want my cars? Take my cars. You want my children? Have my children. Whatever you want, God, it is yours because I love you. And I love you because of what you've done for me on the cross. And what you've done for me on the cross has wiped away my sin. And because my sin is wiped away, I get to spend eternity with you in heaven and I am willing to give everything. That's extravagant love. Church, if you're not willing to give everything to God, then I am telling you there's a salvation issue because when you're willing to give everything to God, you have truly been born again. Because you know he's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know that it is he who, who rebukes the devourer for your sake. You know it is him that brings, that brings wealth into your life. You know that it is him that keeps you healthy. You know that it is him that keeps your mind sane. You know that it is him that heals your body. You cry, Jehovah Jireh, oh, the Lord my healer, Jehovah Rafi. Come on, church, stand to your feet and give God a thanks. 
Give him an offering unto him. Let him know. Oh, let him know. I give all to you. I give you all. I give you all. Oh, and if you have never given your heart to God, today's the day. Today's the day that you can say, God, my extravagant love towards you is my life. Here I am. Take it. Take it. <laughs> oh, when you love Jesus, nothing holds you back. Nothing holds you back. You move forward and you offer your life. Maybe that's you today. You need to offer your life. Maybe you, this is the first time you're ever going to do it, or you've done it a thousand times. It does not matter. Offer it. Offer it. Bring an offering to the Lord today in the way of your life. Say, here's my offering, God. Here I am. Be like Isaiah and say, here I am. Here I am. Cleanse my lips. Cleanse my lips. You want a revival? If we want a revival, it's going to take a group of people to say, God, I give you everything. I give everything to you. Come on, if that's you, come to this altar. Come to this altar. Moses said, bring the gift that shows how much God has blessed your life. There's nothing better than your life. Give it to him. Give it to him. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't wait. Don't wait. You want the favor of the Lord? Here's where it starts. Give your life. Give your life. Give your life. Come on, church. You're sitting there and you're like, I want God to do great things in my life. Come, come give your life. Respond to the altar. Run to the altar. Run to it. Don't wait. See what God has in store for you. See what God has in your life, what he wants to do. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Come on, come on. Just cry out to the Lord. Say, God, here I am. I don't know what all this means. I don't, I don't know how this, how this works, but all I know is here I am. Here I am. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to pour your, your Holy Spirit into my life. I ask, Lord God, for, for you and your grace to intersect my sin, to intersect my life. Come on, church. There's plenty of time. Just begin to begin to call out to God.
generations that his presence go before you and behind you and beside you that God is with you always come on let's I want us to pray this prayer together this this doesn't this is not the the formula but I I think it I, I just think it launches us as as a united front together to 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 sound the alarm to sound the alarm. What, what alarm are we sounding? We, well, there, there's, this, there's this enemy called the devil. And he, uh, he, he's going to do everything to, to thwart God's move in this church, in your life, in this community. But uh, let's, let's let him know that he is for us and not against us. Let's, let's let the enemy know that his presence, God's presence, goes before us and behind us and, if, and, and beside us. Let's let the enemy know that we are favored and our children are favored and their children are favored and a thousand generations. Let's let the enemy know that there's nothing that he can do. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That every time he comes in like a flood, the the Lord is going to lift up a standard against him. Come on, let's let him know that, that we, we know some scripture, that we, we, we know a God that is for us and not against us. We know a God that's love, that we can never be separated. There's no height, there's no depth, there's no angel, there's no demon, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But let's let him know that we are more than conquerors in the name of Jesus, that we do not shrink back but we move forward. Come on, rouse the warrior, rouse the warrior. 